So if you have your Bibles, turn me to Matthew chapter 16. Um, some of you remember, Denise, you probably remember Charles Mousseau. Pastor Charles, he was a prophetic guy from Canada. You would have been here. Does that sound familiar? He had a, no, if you, I know you were here during that time, but anyway. Um, he had an amazing testimony. He was a, uh, uh, he was a low level, I mean the lowest level kind of mafia guy who beat people up for money in Canada. You know, he worked for the, the mob doing that. And uh, he told me, he said it was uh, almost comical. He was out in Vancouver on some assignment for the mob to beat someone up, collect some money. And, um, and uh, he was doing cocaine in his hotel room. And uh, Jimmy Swaggart or somebody, Pat Robinson, someone was on the TV. And the guy says, he looks in the TV and Charles is sitting there on his bed doing lines of cocaine. And he says, uh, I see you there doing cocaine. <laughs> and uh, he told, you know, he preached the gospel to Charles. Like, so Charles said to Christ. And, and I think he even told him to put his hand on the TV. The Holy Spirit came on. It was, it was something. And Charles really changed. He ended up uh, becoming quite a neat guy and a prophetic figure. Um, led some revivals in New England. Really a neat guy. Uh, but had it been failing in health and um, in his late 60s, I think, um, and he died early this week. And so I'm flying, unexpectedly, I'm flying tomorrow to New Brunswick, not, not New Brunswick, to Bangor, Maine, and then I drive up to uh, New Brunswick, Canada, Saturday morning, and then drive back for a late night flight to Orlando, uh, getting in pretty late, and then be here for church on Sunday. But to not go would be wrong. Um, he was a good friend. We did some tremendous things together, particularly in Colombia, and uh, just a, a very special friend. And, and um, so, I mean, you know, we know where he is and all that, but we still miss him. The, you know, the Bible says we don't grieve like people with no hope, but we do grieve. It's healthy to grieve and, and to uh, remember and to thank God uh, for his life. Um, so, in any case... Um, the last couple of times, I, do, do people have questions? Do you have anyone have a question? I would field a question or two before I did my little talk if there were a question about healing, the demonic, how to cook okra. I was in a church in Gary, Indiana. Guy, famous guy. He, uh, but they had a thing at 6 o'clock on Sundays, and he would answer every question, the perfect way to do it. He was the, the guy. He, he was a, a mess. That particular guy, famous guy. Anyway, Don Walker knows who that is. But anyway, no questions. It's a really exciting crowd, by the way, Miriam. You've done a good job. All right. I want to. I've been reading Andrew Murray, and some of you know who that is. Some of you don't. But Andrew Murray really, to me, is um, someone who benefits me immensely. Um, most of my mentors have been dead. You know, people I read in books. Some people have been really fortunate have spiritual mothers and fathers that have great uh, influence. Most of mine that really have influenced me are people that I've uh, encountered and feel like I know, but I know them in books and through books. But one who really uh, speaks to me a lot, and, and uh, but kind of in cycles. I haven't been reading his books uh, recently until, until the last couple of months. Uh, it's probably been a decade, but I've read a lot of his books in the past. But really, tremendous guy. But... Uh, so I've been re interacting with some of his thinking. has been very helpful. But I want to kind of share some things that I've been thinking about because of some things he wrote uh, from Matthew chapter 16. 
And I want to just look at three little pieces of this thing. Uh, first, I want to look at the revelation that Peter had to know that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. So if we look at verse 13, we see that when Jesus came in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Messiah. You are the Christos. You are the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God. Jesus and answer and said, and listen to what Jesus said about this, that he had an understanding that could not come merely from the natural mind, that the Holy Spirit had to be working. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Bar is son of, so his, Simon Peter's dad is Jonah, obviously. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right, so by the revelation of God, he understood him to be the Messiah. Now, he actually talked about the revelation of the church, but I'm going to, just for time, I'm not going to look at that. I want to look at the revelation of the death of Jesus, starting in verse 21. So Simon Peter has this incredible, like, you know, you raise your hand, you go for broke, and you give the perfect answer. I mean, no one could be feeling better about themselves than Simon to say, oh, the, the Father's revealed us that you've given the right answer. What a tremendous thing. Uh, but now, in verse 21, Jesus is talking about the cross, and Simon is seduced. He has the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah, but he does not have the depth of revelation to understand the cross. So from that time, it says, we're moving on another kind of clip here. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Don't say all that negative stuff. Don't make a confession like that, the Pentecostals would say. But he turned to him and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. See, just a few minutes earlier, so to speak, maybe an hour or two earlier, he says, with the revelation of the Holy Spirit by the Father, you're the Christos, you're the Messiah. But when it comes to the acceptance and the revelation of Jesus' death on the cross, Simon is seduced by, this, by the devil, by Satan, into believing that there can be crown without cross. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time and say, this is what Christianity is going on today. It is a Christianity of those who are interested in the Spirit, are largely interested in the Spirit for those things of power and glory but little interest in the things of spirit in the revelation of the cross. We could say that. This is a very shallow uh, period of church history. And um, we suffer for it with tremendous revelation about Jesus as Messiah. Uh, tremendous revelation of Jesus in many ways, but not a lot of revelation about Jesus in his suffering and death. And uh, we, we live in an age in which many people are, are seduced by the demonic uh, in their preaching, in their ministries, um, not because they are wrong about the good things, but they fail to teach the reality of the need uh, to understand the, the cross in its center then and how it centers us for our Christian lives as well. Because Jesus says not only that. Now, here's what I really want to talk about. Uh, look here at verse 24. So, so Simon Peter has the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. 
fails and is seduced by the devil and sees, uh, refuses to accept the cross for Jesus, Jesus says, I'm not just the one that's going to die. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to die too. I, I mean, you won't build many churches on that message. Then Jesus, verse 24, said to the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What's the cross that we have to take up? Our self, will, and self-life. I mean, of course, there's those sinful things and things that displease God, but there's a whole lot of things in this life uh, that are things which are okay, decent, reasonable, but if we're going to make room for God, have to get out of the way. We have to live in such a way. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. This Lent's been tough in this sense. I think, wow, the Lord's showing me there's a lot of good things that have to get out of the way. I'm praying for more of God. Oh, Lord, help me be empty. And, uh, you know, it's, it's significant to make sure that we're looking about our sins and repenting and those things. But there's a lot of things that aren't bad, but they're of the self. And the things of the self cannot, they take up space. And as long as our self-will and our self-control, uh, not self-control, our self-will and our self-life uh, and, and, and our uh, uh, lots of just things about us and, and, and the degree in which our life is about us, it, it takes the space and, and there's not room for God's life to rule and reign. We really want to be filled with the Spirit and live in a way that Jesus did and be fruitful like Jesus. It takes an emptying of the self-life to allow the life of God because there's so much, only so much room in our soul. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life, all those things which are self-protective, self-preservation, meaning not, not healthy boundaries, but, but meaning all those things of which we look to, um, well, basically find satisfaction in our own life apart from God. There's a lot of good things. I mean, there's a lot of options that aren't sinful, but will hinder life that's totally yielded to God so they can be empowered by God, by the Spirit. There's a lot of things I like. A lot of things I like. A lot of decent things. But to be emptied in such a way that the Holy Spirit can be filled in us daily and living in us and empowering us, it takes a willful decision to yield to the Holy Spirit and to choose away from our own desires even reasonable desires, if we're going to have something better. And it takes a lot of faith to believe that if we choose against those things which please us, that in fact God will keep his word, and he will fill us and empower us and help us to be fruitful in following him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, uh, of which the self will. You know, not my will, but thy will be done. Dying to our own will and yielding ourselves for the use and purpose of Jesus. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but I realize how much and how big that is at 53 that maybe I didn't understand when I read these things at 30 or 20 or 40. It seems that I appreciate how many things that I prefer, preferences, desires that I have, not of which are all evil by any means, but simply they're about me and not um, yielded in a way that I need them to be yielded to God to be crucified so that the Holy Spirit can live within me in a whole different kind of way. For whoever desires to save his life, living for the purpose of our own desires, and, 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 and that's what we're oriented to, we, we'll lose it. We can't hold on to those things. 
But whoever loses his life, those who will turn away and willfully choose against our self-desires. Again, not evil desires always, but just the desires which are controlled by the self uh, and choose instead of God. We'll, we'll, if those who will lose their life for Christ's sake will find it. Meaning the peace and things that we're really looking for that we thought money would or success would or our uh, relationship. We thought all these things were going were gonna to bring us peace or, or satisfaction. It's in choosing against those things, those goals, and choosing to follow Jesus as servants and in and humility that actually allows us in the power and presence of the Spirit to find the satisfaction and peace that we really desire, that we thought some other thing would bring us or many other things would bring us. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's something about the way that God created man, uh, mankind, that prior to the fall, the intention was for uh, Adam and Eve to make the deliberate and willful choices to live in submission and surrender to God, His will, and His purposes. And part of what sin and the fall is all about is the choice against God and His purposes and the desire to find uh, purpose, meaning, significance apart from God. Uh, that's what rebellion is. Um, and part of what Jesus Christ came to do in his life and in his crucifixion and by the power of the Spirit is to enable us, were we to make the choice to be rooted back in with God in Christ by the power of the Spirit and to be fruitful in a whole different kind of way. And I don't know, I think partly there's sort of a, you know, God doesn't expect us in first grade to do what we can do in 10th grade. Uh, and so we're always being challenged and invited by Jesus more and more to choose to surrender to him in bigger and more profound ways. And uh, uh, I think this week has really hit me. Wow, he really, he really wants me to choose him at a whole different kind of level. You know, I used to think of the word consecration. And consecration, of course, is turning away from the world or worldliness. And, and of course, that makes sense. But I think in reading and reflecting on Andrew Murray and these passages this week, uh, I think, wow, it's not just a consecrate life against the world and those things of the flesh are sinful things, but how profound and how much Jesus wants us to die to ourselves, even on good things, to make room for his presence. And the level of submission, I mean, there's consecration, which is to be separate from what's evil, but there's also a surrender and a submission which is merely to get and make space uh, for the Spirit's leading for the life of Christ to dwell richly within us. What's amazing is the Bible says clearly that those people who make those kind of choices are fruitful in a very different kind of way. And in my life, I have seen that kind of fruitfulness in starts and stops, in seasons, in places, but have failed to maintain that kind of surrender or submission as best I can tell from fruitfulness that God desires for me. And uh, part of when this, you know, this time I said, Lord, I don't want to just see this in India or see, you know, be in this in sort of cloud uh, for two weeks or for a month or for, uh, there, there's got to be a way to stay here uh, and, and to remain with you in a different way. And I think he says, well, well, yes, there is. But it's not just sin that we're fighting. It's, it's the self. It's uh, self-will and it's, it's a matter of surrender. It's not just consecration. It's not less than consecration, turning from the things of the world. 
uh, turning against those desires of the flesh, but there is also the self. And maybe the last great battle isn't Satan, but the self. Jesus dealt with Satan on the cross. We've got victory over, over the demonic and the devil. The, the, the last big battle, maybe, in some ways, uh, for the Christian is, is to really learn to die to ourselves. At least for me, it seems to be the big one. It seems to be the big one. And uh, in this Lenten season, uh, this is what I'm, I'm praying and thinking about and asking the Lord uh, to help me. And I think, man, this is going to be impossible. There's so much self in me. And then I read Andrew Murray, and he reminds me of the scripture. It says, with God, all things are possible. Ah, there's hope. It would seem impossible when I look at myself. But with God, everything's possible. And, uh, and so the way we find more grace is we repent of our sins and those things which we do out of agreement with God. And we seek and ask and knock for the grace and the power of the Spirit to be transformed. And uh, with that kind of hope and with the knowledge that the Father delights in people who ask and seek and knock for more of Him, there, there, there can be encouragement, even though it seems like an awful big task. Uh, but God's the one that brings the power uh, to the equation. We have to bring uh, the repentance, the confession, uh, and a heart that desires uh, to be yielded and submitted to Him. So I don't know what you're facing, but maybe part of the solution uh, to what you're battling is not only uh, in your healing journey of turning away from those things which are evil, but maybe for you to experience the Spirit the way He wants to, to teach you in your path is a different kind of level of death to self, uh, an allowance for the Spirit of Christ and to lead and guide and, and to control uh, your life and your decisions in a whole different kind of way. Um, it seems that when we look back and we find people who God has used powerfully, we find that they had these kind of characteristics. That they were people who had made the decision to die to the world, the flesh, and devil, but they had also learned to die uh, to themselves and to take up their cross uh, and to live from that place. Again, not just for a, a season, but, but uh, somehow it got inculcated with them. It got, it got integrated into them in, in a deep and a profound level. They weren't without sin, but they were orientated to the life of Jesus in a very deliberate and specific way. And uh, to be fruitful in the kingdom uh, and to bring glory to God. I don't think there's any other way we can get there. Uh, we've got we've to take on also and uh, asking God to help us to know what it means that we would be empowered to make choices of the will to turn against the self and to turn in submission to the spirit. Whatever that will mean. We don't even know exactly what that means. We just know we are required to follow Jesus' disciples, where we try to take up our cross daily, to renounce our rights, our will, and our control, and to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to help us and to live and be led by Him in a daily way. Um, very deliberately and very specifically. It is somehow in making that choice where God pours out the grace uh, and the power we need to grow and to change. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. This is tough stuff. I can't even imagine when I look at all the, the things uh, that are on the table when we say we're not just dying to the things of the flesh or the world or the devil, but, but to the desires of the self. Even reasonable desires, because Lord, everything, even those things that might seem reasonable, uh, is in play if that's what it costs us to turn away from, to live for you. 
So I pray for your grace uh, in my own life and for the life of those people here. Uh, Lord, that we would see clearly, that we would make deliberate and specific choices against the self so that you can rule and reign, not in some kind of annihilationism, uh, in just self-hatred or something, but rather because the choice to turn away from ourselves allows us the opportunity to live for you. And nothing could be more meaningful, uh, satisfying, uh, or wonderful, Lord, than that. And Lord, when we bump up against that, even in short patches, Lord, we know how glorious that kind of living is. But Lord, we don't just want to visit there. We want to live there. We want to really be disciples, and we really want to be fruitful in our coming and our going. So Lord, we ask for your help, and we thank you. You hear us, and you love these kinds of prayers. So answer them, Lord, and help us to do our part in the choice. We thank you that you'll pour out your spirit. So we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.